Welcome to the show. It's Real Talk with the Six Man. I'm your host, the Six Man. This podcast is uncut, unscripted, and we talk about a wide range of topics such as black entrepreneurship, social injustice, education, finances, the family dynamic, Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, and mental health, along with many more. It's a Real Talk podcast to empower, educate, encourage, uplift, and inspire, and to allow others to be better than they were yesterday. Japur's Clothing is a new stylish black-owned brand established in 2016. They explore unfamiliar territories in the clothing industry by tailoring their Euro Street vibe into their entire product line to enrich their vision to their customers and all of their clients. In a world where you can be anything, Japuris says, be you, be versatile. Japuris clothing can also be found at www.shopjapurisclothing.com. Com. And Japaris Clothing is also an official partner of this show, Real Talk with the Six Man. Japaris, be you, be versatile. You're listening to my daddy, the Six Man. Be better than yesterday, I gotta be better than yesterday No matter if I'm playing six man or star, I'm better than yesterday I gotta be better than yesterday, I gotta be better than yesterday No matter if I'm playing six man or star, I'm better than yesterday We gotta be better, do better, that's every minute, every second Drop a juice, hope you collecting uh, The voice of the people, we all gon' get heard This real spill, never clean what I say uh, Always tuned in, never tuned out Gotta stay woke and be a sleepwalker Gotta stand up, got too many stand out Stay ready like the six man of the year We up now, we, we, we up now Be better than yesterday, I gotta be better than yesterday No matter if I'm playing six man or star, I'm better than yesterday Welcome back, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Uh, it's Real Talk with the Six Man. Um, I'm your host, the Six Man. And as you know, you know this month is uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. And this month, I wanted to do my due diligence and make sure that um, on my platform that we discuss this topic just so that way it could be um, something that you know a lot of people can get information about. I was just telling my my guess that I don't think we have enough conversations about it. And I just want to give people an idea that it is a lot of people out here that's dealing with it. 
and that there's ways to deal with it and then you can't come back from it. So I don't want people to think that if we if they have a mental illness or if they have something that's going on to be shameful, you know, that they have it. I just want them to be more um, I just want them to have more of an opportunity and be willing to, to go get the help for it. So I got a friend who's um on the line, Miss Miss Coco, and she was telling me um, you know, about her journey. And so I thought it was interesting because she has you know, um, a background that kind of people look at and say, oh, okay, I can see where that's coming from. But then she also has a situation where it didn't necessarily have anything to do with the military. So, um, Coco, if you can, can you tell the listeners kind of what your background is and what you do? Um, I work for the government. Mm -hmm. First of all, hi. Hi, everybody. <laughs> um, I work for the government. I have 10 years of military background. I have another... 13 years in government, and um, I'm a military brat, um, college educated. That's right. All those good things. Good things. Right. I'm 39, about to be 40 in July. <laughs> but um, I'm single with no children, and I say that because it's, it, it's an important part of the journey itself. So I am divorced, actually, divorced with no children. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that, and I know people are like, well, why is she saying that? Well, it matters. Mm. It, it matters and it ties into a lot of what I deal with. Okay. So. So, yeah. so your journey, so your journey has been, you know, of course, um, one that you said that you kind of still kind of deal with to this day. So can you yeah. kind of give us like the starting point and kind of elevate us from, you know, where you, where you've kind of, where your journey's kind of been? Well, I have several different journeys mm -hmm. in what is now considered the PTSD realm. Okay. Um, I was sexually assaulted in the military. Um, I was in Iraq. And then prior to the military, some things happened as a young adult is what I'll say. Okay. Um, so if you take my adult, my young adult years, I was like any other you know, 15, 16 year old, try to figure life out and a little too fast and ass. Can I say ass? Yeah, absolutely. A little, too, <laughs> a little too fast and ass. But um, trying to make up for some things that you really didn't understand at the time, you know. And as you get older, you start to realize things. And uh, so I was sexually assaulted as a teenager by a grown man. Mm. Um, and at the time, didn't think anything of it, just thought, you know, oh my goodness, he's interested in me. You know, oh, wow. why would this grown man be? And back then, you know, no one discussed pedophilia and all those things. You know, it was normal, at least for my environment, mm. to have, at 16, to have met somebody 25, 26, 27 years old, and he's trying to talk to you, because that was, that was a thing. You know, he's in college, you're in high school, it was, it was fine. Mm. It was one of those unspoken, and uh, I was so sexually assaulted then, and I buried that. Never even really thought about it, and didn't think about, didn't know how deep it was till I got older. Like I said, um, just thought grown man like me, and I was wrong because he was grown. He was older. That was it. Right. Never thought about it. he was wrong because he was older. I just thought I was wrong because he was older. Right. But when you say and, you buried it, but when you say you buried it, how 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 did you how did you like like was it was it? I mean, of course. 
it wasn't consensual. But how do you bury something like that when it wasn't necessarily something that you consented to? Um, you bury it because your father is ex-military. Okay. You bury it because you wouldn't dare embarrass him. Oh wow! You, know, you wouldn't dare. We're from we're from South Carolina. We're from Maryland. You know, strong military background, strong Southern background. Mm. There's just some things you don't do. Right. And um, like I'll take you one back even further. When I was I was in Virginia year thirteen, unwillingly again did not know what that was. Um, I was thirteen. He was nineteen. We used to hang out at his brother's house, me and all my friends. I was a tomboy. Me and my other girlfriends and some other guys used to ride bikes together, go over to God's house, play video games. And his brother was never home. His brother was home from college. Uh, brought me down in the basement. My brother was like, please don't go down there. I was like, I'm just going to go down there and talk to him. So we're down there and talk. He started kissing on me. And of course, she's 13. So I'm like, oh, my God, 19-year-old into me. Big deal, you know? Mm. Not thinking about he's 19, he shouldn't be into you. Right. Um, so I went down there willingly. I was kissing him willingly. And then he started taking my clothes off. And I didn't know how to say no. You know, it was like, uh, 19, we like you. Wow. Go ahead. Wow. So I went along with it. And once he started, it was hurting so badly. I asked him to stop. And um, he wouldn't stop. Like, he realized I was a virgin. And he was like, he wasn't going to stop. And he just got rougher and harder. And when he was done, he just went about his business, left me sitting there. Wow. And I'll never forget to this day, anybody, woman or male, this has ever happened to you. You can almost remember to the T, like what you had on. I had on a yellow and pink windbreaker. You remember the old windbreakers with the jackets and yeah. the pants? Yeah. I had on my mom's. My mom worked at a pizzeria part-time when she was at work for the military. And she had a black hat that had her name on it. And I had her hat on, turned to the back. And I, my when I stood up, it pulled my clothes up. My yellow windbreaker pants were completely covered in blood. Wow. And I ran home and I told my dad what happened. People were like, you ran home told your dad. I swear to God, I told my dad. And when my dad looked at me and said, I told you, you weren't ready for this. Because mm-hmm. we, as long as, I, as long as I'm able to talk, he's always talking to me about sex and, and what men aren't. And never... Our community, we seem to never talk about the good parts of sex and relationships. We only talk about don't, 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 don't. And so he was like, I, you know, I told you that you weren't ready. And I told you to say no. And I told you, you know, whatever. And I was just so hurt. You know, like, I'm hurting. And this is what you want to talk to me about. Both my parents are nurses. So he, he checked me out. And I was fine. He walked me back around to the, the guy's house. And his him and my dad, my dad and his aunt, that's who he lived with. Um. They worked in the same army facility. And he knocked on the door, and the aunt came to the door, and he was like, you know, your 19-year-old is having sex with 13-year-olds now. And his aunt said, if she ain't have her fast ass over here, it wouldn't happen. Oh, wow. And my dad said, just keep her away from my daughter, keep him away from my daughter, or I promise you, it'll be a problem. Oh, wow. That was that was that her was my response? First, wow. That was, I swear, that was my first lesson. Wow. So I was like, he was embarrassed, because, you know, Boop. she worked under him. And I'm 13, and who's 13 year old is having sex? So I learned to just, you know what, when things happen, I gotta figure it out on my own. But what would? But what would that say? What would that say for his aunt though? Like for her to just automatically say that about you? Um, as I've gotten older, what I feel like is that it wasn't the first time it happened. 
Right. Like it wasn't the first time he had been caught in something. Right. And she was just used to it. So what she did was keep young girls away from her house. Right. Because I know my friend got, you know, he was mad at me for like a week because he got in trouble for having me in the house. Because, you know, little boys could go over there, but girls couldn't be over there. Right. And that must have been why. But mm. I didn't learn that till I was much older. You know, we, he and I, not he, me and the person, but me and the, the brother actually met up as adults and we had that conversation. And he was like, um, yeah, man, I got in so much trouble that day. But he said, his, but now his the, the cousin is actually locked up. Cousin, brother, I don't know. They call each other both. But he's actually, he was locked up the last time we talked. Four eight. Mm. So he carried on into his adult life. Wow. And and that's, that's and, and that's kind of crazy because it's like you know at that moment both of you all are kind of victims of this thing because it's like you know he 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 didn't get help for kind of what he did and it kind of carried on with him on into adulthood so it's like a lot of people kind of like um, I want to say see these warning signs but don't actually you know deal with them because they haven't had the maturity. Or had somebody to talk to them to let them know, you know, certain things should not be going on, and then they need help. So it's it's that's rough. Well, if you think about it, everybody from their childhood, everybody knows somebody that was allowed to be way too grown at, at a young age. Right. You know, I had I had homegirls that could have boys stay the night at their house at 14, 15 years old. I had homeboys who their girlfriends could come stay the night at their house. I couldn't have my girlfriends come stay the night at my house. But my parents didn't play them games. Right. You know, so it, back then it was a different type of culture. People, it was what's in our house is in our house. You know, we were real big on what stay, what happens in our house stays in our house back then. Right. So, like I said, the last thing I wanted to do was embarrass my father. So, I stayed pretty much to myself till I was about 16, and I was getting ready to join the military. Then I was off the chain. You know, oof, I was off the chain. <laughs> and so my next incident, my next incident was in the military. Um, I was sexually assaulted. He tried to rape me, but could not get get could not get my pants off, basically. But the worst part about that was um, one of our mutual. I had left. I was in my boyfriend's room. Uh, he left to go get some liquor. Like, he wasn't even a part of it. No, he didn't set me up. None of that. Um, these are people we hung out with all the time. His Mason's friend, his Mason Masonic friends. And um, we used to always hang out in the room and play cards or whatnot. And now, back at this time, I'm not fast. I'm not grown. I have a boyfriend. I'm excited. We've been together for like a year and a half. And he left to go get liquor. He's like, you want to go? And I was like, no, I don't want to go. He was like, all right, well, I stayed in the room. The doors are locked. It always is. People come in and get stuff and leave. Right. That's what we do in the barracks. Yeah. Um, so it was, I was never uncomfortable. And my homegirl is two doors down with her boyfriend. Well, all of a sudden, two of our good friends come in the room. And the bigger one, he's like 6'3", over 200 pounds. He stay, he's standing in front of the door. And that one sits on the chair. I don't think nothing of it because we do this all the time. Oh, wow. Um. All of a sudden, the door closed, and his homeboy says to me, uh, so I never understood why you picked him over me. Now, let me tell you something. I'm, a, I'm big sexy now, but back then, I was my body was dumb. It was army body. You know, I was brick. Right. And he was like, I don't understand why you didn't pick me. Pick you what? Right. <laughs> you know, me, me and him, he came at me. We talked and we jailed. You never said nothing to me. And I was just as outgoing as I am now. I was just as outgoing back then. So if you wouldn't like me, 
you weren't going to get no chance with me. Well, he was had some, some kind of feelings about it. Apparently, the best friend who was standing at the door had feelings about it as well. Oh, wow. So he was helping him. Wow. So he stood by the door to make sure nobody came in. Wow. Because my boyfriend was going to be gone for at least about a half hour. And so he came at me, and he just kept telling me how he thought I was, I was a bitch and I was stuck up, and he was going to show me better than he could tell me. Now, I was, I was a little bit stronger than I looked, apparently, because I fought him for a minute, and I was screaming. And I was fighting and I was screaming. But in the barracks, ain't nobody thinking nothing about that because we always play fighting and doing stuff. So nobody thought something was going on. Mm. Plus the music is hella loud. So, but I just keep looking the whole time I'm staring at the best friend. Like, you've got to be kidding me right, right. now. You, you just going to let this nigga do this shit? And I just kept, so I kept kicking and screaming, kicking and screaming. And when I finally kicked him in the right place, he jumped up. And I jumped up and ran out the room to my homegirl where she was. And her boyfriend came out ready to fight. Hell yeah. But he, by, by this point, he had had his hand down my pants, up my shirt. He had done all, he had did enough damage. You know what I mean? Right. My boyfriend comes back, tell him what happened. He's about to fight. The commander comes back. They, you know, what happens is, what's supposed to happen is the MPs are supposed to be called. The CQ downstairs, not, one, I was in there way past the time I was supposed to be there. And uh, at that point, they're supposed to call incident reporter and the MPs supposed to be called. Instead, he called the commander. The commander and the first sergeant come. And, uh, they take all my information and call my first sergeant. My first sergeant calls me and they send me back to my barracks. And, you know, we're going to follow up with this tomorrow. Well, basically Monday. And I'm just, just wanted to be done. I don't even care, you know, whatever. The next day I come over to my boyfriend, you know, meet him outside and he's upset. You know, he's like, I can't believe you embarrassed me like this. And, uh, my homeboy said, you came on to him. Him and the other one said wow. they saw it. And I told him, I said, it's not what happened. I'm, and I'm telling him what happened. And, of course, they're all Masons. They're all Masonic brothers. Okay. So, all the time I had a big deal with Masonic people. Because they covered for each other. So, the incident never got reported. Never got reported. I literally, when I had less than a year left in the military. I was supposed to be doing ACAP and getting ready to come home. Uh, they actually sent me to Egypt. Like, I, I came down on orders with less than 12 months left in the military. And they sent me to Egypt. And, and was, and I come, was and that kind of like a, was that like a, a punishment? Right, okay, okay. Because I had been wanting to go to Egypt, but I didn't have enough time. Okay. And the, all of a sudden, they found a way to send me there. Mm. Um, Ain't that a bitch. And they literally had to rush me back. Because, you know, like, halfway through my deployment, it's like, oh, she got to get back. Because you got to get out. So I literally didn't spend 12 months there. I spent like maybe 10 months there. Okay. And so when it, what happens is once I get to Egypt and I'm like, I'm not even thinking about it. I'm so excited to be in Egypt. Never, yeah, everybody remember Black Planet. <laughs> we, I had a Black Planet page and he had a Black Planet. So I went and looked at the Black Planet page. In the picture is all him and all his Masonic brothers. And guess who's in the picture? His commander. His first sergeant, wow. him, the two dudes, and my first sergeant. Wow. All in the picture. They wow. were all from the same lodge. Wow. All from the same lodge. That's crazy. And I took and buried that. That happened in 2000. Mm. So from 2000 to about, I think, I want to say 2000, like 9 or 10, maybe 11. I had, I had just built a life where I was just real, I wasn't reckless with anything, but I was just real cutthroat, like mm. worse than I am now. Mm. Like it didn't matter. I just said what I wanted to say. I did what I wanted to do. I fucked the mood and kept moving. I just did me. 
And then one day I'm sitting at uh, the VA for a routine appointment with Women's Health, and they started dealing with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. So there's um, PTSD, there's MST, which is military sexual trauma, and then there's like personality disorder and all these other things. And once that started to be a thing, because everybody was committing suicide, uh, and I had been, I had tried to commit suicide in 2006. So oh, wow. because of that, they have me in record that whenever I come, they have to ask me those questions since they started it. Okay. They had, I had never been asked the question before. So mind you, for the last 10 years or whatever, I had been fine living my life. I had buried all that. And she says to me, have you ever been sexually assaulted in the military? And I st- I was staring at her. I probably shit you not, I called my brother. I'm sitting there, I'm staring at her, and I lost it. When I say I lost it, I don't mean crying. I mean, like, I was ready to fight. Why the fuck would you ask me that? Who told you? But, and she just said, ma'am, we're we going to walk upstairs, which is the sixth floor, which is mental health. Wow. Fifth floor, whatever it is. Wow. And I was like, so I literally spewed out a story that I hadn't told a soul besides my roommate at the time and my girlfriend that was there with me. And it came out, and from that moment, my life was fucked up. For like a whole two years, I couldn't get it together. I couldn't, I couldn't, my marriage was horrible, and on a, on different levels, like, he was happy, because I was doing everything I could do, you know what I'm saying, I was Susie Homemaker, I was trying to overcompensate for the fact that I had no feelings towards anything, so, you know, okay. food was cooked, house was clean, anything he wanted, he could get, sex wasn't a problem, whatever, anything to keep him happy, but on the inside, I was dying, Right. and I didn't recognize who I was. It was like I just—they opened up a can of worms and Pandora's box all at the same time. Let me let it me was ask horrible. let me ask you a question. So, what was the what what was the what was the concentrated anger? Like, why was it so concentrated towards her when she asked you if that happened? Because I mean, of course, that's like a—I want to say like a standard question. But when she asked you that, what what but made you? It wasn't you... a standard question at the time. They had never they had never asked those questions before. Oh wow! Military sex, MST was had just become prevalent, and like I want to say, I, I'm saying 2010, but I want to say like 2012, 2013 is when it happened. Okay. Um, and they had just there were so many people committing suicide, and so many women and men showing up at the VA with these problems, with these triggers and these problems, that they finally made it a thing. So MST. Is a is a different is a trigger of PTSD and it is a it's a whole different um, angle. Yeah. So they had always been treating people for PTSD. Sound like it's a whole different animal. Specific, yeah, it's a specific thing, and you you get PTSD from it, but it's like combined because most people it's happening to it happened a long time ago, mm. you know, and you've been sitting on it for all these years, and now that they're starting to develop ways to deal with it into medicated if that's what you need or discuss it if that's what you need the more they've come up with those things it's expounding things that they never experienced and people you know I've been a peer counselor and it's just it's not the same I don't care how much background you have as a counselor if you have not dealt in military sexual trauma it's different from even a regular sexual trauma hmm. You know, we bury them the same way, but military sexual trauma people tend to tend. I'm not saying all. We tend. We you learn when something hurts you in the military, whether it be physical or mental. 
you learn how to push it down. You learn how to, I got to get this job done so I don't have the luxury of breaking down because that's not how the military works. Right, okay. That's, that's In the a, civilian world, okay. people tend to be able to, you, you can go to work, come home, and then break down. In the military, we, we can never break down. You never. That's why we drink. People drink, people fuck, people do all types of stupid shit to cope right. with whatever they're feeling. Right. But at the time, you don't think that you're dealing with something. You just think you're having fun and you're in the military. But it's a coping mechanism. Like most of us military people, if you're a drinker, you have a ridiculous tolerance of alcohol because when you were tired or when you were happy or when you were sad, that's what we did. We drank. Yeah, I, f- I found that out the hard way the night we was... At our friend's house, and we was drinking them damn fish bowls. <laughs> I tell anybody, don't try to drink with me. Oh you know, my and people, god! And people think you trying to people think you trying to talk, you know, a bunch of shit. But I'm like, no, my tolerance is heavy Man. because I used to drink. I could put a I could put away a fifth by myself, you know, and then go open up something else. Like, what's Man. up? And then get up and run. I mean, I'm you know, five miles the next day. I'm a drinker too, but I don't know. But just something about that night, it just. It just caught me off guard because the first one, y'all was like, drink that slow. I was like, man, I got it. <laughs> and I remember that second one, I don't think I finished the second one. No, you didn't. Yeah, I don't think you I didn't. finished the second one. And I drove, my, and I drove myself home that night. You didn't drive home that night. No. I remember <laughs> I remember the, the friend taking my keys. Like, yeah, let me get them keys, cuz. I was but like, that's crazy. It's just a coping mechanism because for the longest time, they didn't have a... And even now... Getting counseling, I tell anybody, get help, seek professional help. Because mm-hmm. the stuff gets so deep rooted. And talking to your peers, talking to your peers once you're starting to heal is one thing. Talking to your peers while you're still hurting is something different. Makes sense. Because a lot of it's it's unfair in my in my respect. It's unfair to put that kind of stuff on regular people, not knowing what they've been through. Right. You know, everybody wants to say if it's a friend, you may be talking to me about anything. Some things I shouldn't talk to you about. Not because I'm not friends, not because I don't love you, not because I don't trust you. But I just shouldn't put some things on you. Some things you just, that's a lot. That's a heavy burden. I actually had a friend go with me to, I had to go to my conversation and pension hearing. Because I am 100% disabled because okay. of my PTSD. Okay. Um, I just made sure I'm not unemployable because I'm too young not to work. But Literally, I had incidents where I could barely sit at work, like, and not because I was about to break down in tears, but because I was, I would get so angry. I had such a hard time dealing with males in, in a hierarchy type situation. Got you. Makes sense. That if you said something to me sideways about my breath or about my butt, you'd be about to get punched in the face. Right. So it was just, and I never thought about it. I never thought about it from what happened standpoint. I always thought. I just didn't like disrespectful people. Mm. But once I started, once I got a counselor, somebody who had no vested interest in my life, and people want to say that they always go, why would you want a counselor to care about you? There is not a counselor that's going to care about you. They care about what you're going through. But if you have a counselor that's reaching out to you outside of their job, get a new counselor. Because you need somebody that's not vested on that side of your life. Right. They need to be vested only in making you feel better. Right. Making that makes you sense. realize what, where your trauma comes from. Right. That's what you have pastors and and peer counselors for, for if you need someone with more of a personal 
touch to how they talk to you. But your best friend is not the person. Your mama and your daddy ain't even the people. Your sister and your brother. It's just, I understand we feel like we should be able to confide in those people. But could you imagine what it, what it was when I finally told my mama about what happened to me? Uh, there was nothing she could do about it. Yeah. I was going to say, it I can't hurt. imagine. It hurt. Yeah. She cried. That's all she could do. My daddy, he never let me see it, but my mama said it. It hurt him. Yeah. Because there was nothing to know what he went through when he was in the military. Right. Not, you know, not with MSC, but just with PTSD, period. Yeah. And to know your daughter got PTSD and she went through this military sexual trauma. Right. It's a burden you shouldn't put on regular people. Right. Even if your friend is a licensed counselor with 10,000 years of experience, it's different when it hits that close to home. But there's nothing wrong with going to find a professional that can talk to you about your issue and not have any personal stake in what they're talking to you about. Because sometimes we miss we, we miscommunicate things when we love somebody and you get offended, not at them, but you end up getting offended because you, you hurt for them so bad. Right, that's true. And you're so upset and right. you don't know what to do. Right. So it comes out the wrong way. Right. Your help comes out the wrong way. Right. And then sometimes you, you're hiding your own trauma. So if I'm talking to you about being sexually assaulted and you were raped, and you never told anybody. I'm triggering you, and you trying to hold it in to help me get through what I'm getting through. Right. And now I've triggered you. Triggers are serious. Yeah. And people don't know just how serious. I just, I just, I just found out um, maybe last year that you know I had a, I had um did a, a episode or a series on PTSD, and I was kind of you know talking to a few people, and I was you know as I was going through it, it just made me feel like. Like, wait a minute. Like, it's times that somebody in a uniform might have said something to me and, you know, I just I just went left. Like, what, what the fuck is that? And, and, and like, now I'm like, damn, that was, it was something going on there. You know what I mean? Like, because a lot of people wanted to know why I was as wild as I was. And I really couldn't at that time, you know, 16, 15, 16, 17 years old, I couldn't really tell you what was physically going on, you know, with me, because I didn't necessarily know what was going on. I mean, when I tell people, you know, I've, 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 I've shot at people, you know, I've been in some hellified situations in the street. I've seen people get killed, you know, and, you know, I, the only coping mechanism I had was either go get a drink or smoke something. I mean, no professional help, you know, nobody to tell it to. Like, of course, if you saw it, you might go around the way and be like, yeah, man, I saw such and such get his head. You know what I'm saying? I remember one time specifically, we had a, um, a, a homie, um, Junior, and he got killed. And, and like out, out of all of the violence that I had saw up until that point, it was something about Junior's death that just, it threw me way off. Like I literally, I, I literally like, I can't remember exactly how to pronounce this, but I literally went way off the rail. Like I literally start going out, Coco, and start robbing people. Like just robbing. Oh wow. Just just robbing people. And I mean, I tell people this because it happened it happened a few different ways, but I think that when he got killed, you know, cuz when my when my mother when my mother moved out, I was in junior high school. She 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 decided that she found the man of her dream. She got married, but she left myself in junior high school and my brother in high school at our house in, on 6th Street. And our grandmother was, you know, the only person in the house with us. And she lived in the basement, but she had her own apartment, so to speak, in the basement. She had, a, you know, bedroom, bathroom, kitchenette, you know, living room, all that. So she had 
her own space. But upstairs, meanwhile, we got three bedrooms, two and a half baths, and he in high school, my brother, and I'm at junior high school. So I can I can tell you, you know, that span of, you know, from 91, 92 on down, it was, I, we've always been adults. We've always been on our own. We always, you know, made it happen. But but then that period, like, I, I wouldn't be able to tell my mother some of the stuff that I did or some of the stuff that I've, that I've gotten into or saw because she wouldn't understand it. But I wouldn't want her to automatically think that it was her fault. I mean, even though she wasn't there, I wouldn't want to tell her to make her feel like, oh, this happened because you wasn't here. Nah, I mean, again, I wasn't a stupid kid. And then it wasn't like a lot of the shit that I was doing. It wasn't like I did not know it wasn't right. But it got to a point where dealing with so much and 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 getting this gun in my hand, it, it just changed my life. Because I was like, I used to get, you know, this guy used to beat me up in school. You know, I got a gun felt like it was never going to happen again but it was just something about that gun and this in my mentality at that point like nobody is ever going to put their motherfucking hands on me again ever and that was right. kind of my mindset and then getting into selling drugs you know dealing with you know girls you know dealing with the you know wrong type of people stealing cars i mean i, I got so many stories you know that when i think about them i just be like damn i'm still here i can't believe this shit but at the end of the day it's like you know it's a reason why i'm still here so I can allow myself and give my testimony to others to kind of help them not have to even get involved with some of the shit that I've already dealt with. So, I mean, it it it, it get crazy, man. I mean, it really do. And, and I agree with that. And it's the reason why I don't mind talking now that I've been, now that I'm healed, right. I don't mind talking to people about it because the other side of it is what America paints, um, an African-American person with mental health issues is we are either from broken homes or we're uneducated or, you know, everybody's been molested in their eyes, you know? And sometimes that's not the case. I come from a two-parent household, both educated. They were good people. They mm -hmm. are good people. Um, just things happen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they happen in our community like they happen in any other community. Right. Unfortunately, we're just not as vocal about it. So I talk to people about it all the time in peer counsel with it because it's so important for us to realize that we're worth opening our mouths and fighting for it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. There's no reason there's no reason to hinder your progression in life or relationships because I know for like the longest time I I had to stop dating. Like, let me stop dating. Let me make sure I'm not being toxic to somebody else. Mm. Because I overcompensated a lot of things. Like, I am the ultimate friend because of what I felt like I didn't have at the time. You know what I mean? Right. And so, because of that, people have a, a, a open gate to hurt you easily. Right, right, right. You know, right. and because you're overcompensating for things that you lack. You know, and sometimes people always take that to believe personality-wise. And sometimes it's just very tangible things. You know, you lack support, you lack love, you lack... So you give those things to people unconditionally because you don't have them yourself. Right. But the first thing we think of in our community is that, oh, you're a punk or you this, you that. And right. it's, it's amazing. I said, I think I made a... I did a live on my page a long time ago. Not a long time ago, but maybe a year ago. And I had sat in the VA... And there was a black guy in the VA, and um, he just, we always just spark up conversations. That's what you do in the VA, because you sit forever. 
And uh, he told me he wasn't, he was there to see his mental health doctor. And I was like, well, you know, they don't pay for you to go see somebody on the outside. That way, that you know, you're not seeing the same doctor everybody's seeing. And he was like, he didn't want to do that because he didn't want to go somewhere that somebody knew him. I was like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, his homeboys, like, gave him such a hard time about being a punk. Like, you whining about this to happen and happen and let it go. You know, you're in the military, it happened, let it go. Why, why would you need to go talk to somebody? You sound, basically, they tell me you sound like a bitch. Mm. And so he was so embarrassed that he went back to the VA to get help. I'm so glad he got help. Yeah. There's, there's so much more uh, someone can offer you at a practice because they're not boggled down by schedule. You know, they schedule you for your time and they're not servicing 30 other soldiers. You right, know what I mean? Right, right, right. But, but he never, he said, I didn't want to go out in the community and somebody recognized me going into one of those places. Damn. That's the stigma. You know what I mean? Wow. The so, minute you say, the minute you say you have PTSD, I'm gonna tell you it pisses me off. You say you have PTSD, whether you've been military or not. But if they know people know you're military, the first thing I get, people, oh, so you crazy? What? Stop watching movies. Right. Everybody is not PTSD like the father from fucking uh, what is the what's the movie with Forrest Whitaker? Oh, he had, and he was super crazy. Oh, uh, I can't think of it right now. Damn, me neither. Damn. Uh, I know what you're talking about, though. Damn. Damn. Can't the name of it. Just that fast. Oh, but um, that movie. So people always contributed to that full metal jacket, the, the extremes, the, the the very, very extremes. I'm not saying they don't exist. Everybody with PTSD is not off this shit. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And in more cases than not, you're sitting around somebody with PTSD and don't know it. And don't know they it. look normal, they yeah. act normal, yeah. they talk normal, whatever the fuck normal is. Yeah. But they're regular members of society, and every night she goes home and cuts herself. Every night he goes home and drinks two fifths of liquor. Yeah. Every night every night he or she goes out, and they're fucking 10 or 15 different people. Yeah. You know, whatever it is to release. Sometimes it's not even that severe. Sometimes they're who I was. I was past the drinking. I was past the fucking. I was literally to the point where I would stay in the house. And you know this. I wouldn't leave. Right. You couldn't get me out of my house because I was going to the cigar lounge. I literally would just stay in the house mm. and avoid people. Not because I'm scared of people. Not because I'm scared I'm going to go off. But because I just don't. You, I couldn't function. Especially if I'm around a bunch of phony people. I just, I can't. I don't, I still have a, a, a thing with that. Like, I'm so, it's made me so upfront and so brash that I've had to be careful of who I share my energy with. Right. And it makes you that way eventually. When you get to a healing point, it makes you standoffish. Mm-hmm. It makes you, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the word. Like, there's so many things. But now, I'm like, I'm in a, ha- I'm in a happy place. Like, the best thing that ever happened to me was COVID. I told you that earlier. Yeah. Like, because now I don't have to, I don't have to show face. I don't have to put the face on to go hang out when birthday parties, weddings, bar mitzvahs, and all this other shit you got going on. Right. Like, I really get to just stay in the house and deal with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm in a place where I can deal with that. I can do with that. I'm not home crying and trying to write. I used to write a lot. Like, I, I found so many of my journals. I actually burned them. Mm. I burned my journals because the shit that I was reading was just horrible, horrible. I'm like, I never want to go back down this road. There's no need to keep reading this. You know, there's no need. And I, I literally burned them. Yeah, I had but a, everybody's not at that point. I had a friend and uh, she was saying that one of the things that people could do is kind of, you know, journal write, you know, kind of write, 
write that yes. stuff down if you can't talk about it. So, I mean, it seems like you were doing that, but at, at some point you just felt like you couldn't, you couldn't read it anymore based off, you know, some of the stuff that, that you had been through. And I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, you know, whether they write it down or they just remember it, you know, they don't want to deal with that trauma anymore. Like for me, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't want to let out too much, but it's been a lot of opportunities when I've seen bloodshed. I'll just say that, you know what I mean? And it wasn't something where I could like call you and be like, oh, hey, Coco, look, this is what I've been through. Or call like my best friend at the time, Ebony. You know, I, 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 I could tell Ebony anything, but I couldn't tell Ebony certain things because when, I, when I'm not, not saying that I thought she would, but I just felt like, she probably would at some point just judge me like, oh, you did what? Why the fuck would you do that? You know what I mean? And it's so even in even in um, even in my marriage, I felt like at times I would tell my ex-wife stuff and I felt like, you know, she judged me. You know what I mean? Like I felt like in certain conversations or certain things that came up, she would just look at me differently or I would say something and she would just be like, hmm. You know what I mean? And it just. You know. It's funny you said that because, and not to cut you off, but it's funny. Similarly, when I was married, me and my husband, when we were home with each other, were fine. When we got around, when he got around his homeboys, who knew I was in the military, I don't know what he was sharing with them because he he had never seen me um, go through a PTSD episode. Okay, you know what I'm saying ever. But what he what he would see is um, I would sit in the car. Every married person has done this, but I used to do it all the time. Every married person with some issues at home has sat in their car before you go in the house. Absolutely. And you're sitting there for about 15, 20 minutes. Absolutely. And breathe. Yeah. Or sometimes you have the argument in your head that you're about to have when you go in the house. Yeah. Because going to start with you. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah. I literally, I yeah. had to sit in the car and I would say all the shit I want to say. Like, fuck you. Get out my, you know, get out my fucking nerves. I would say all that in the car. And then when I get in the house, he starts arguing. And I'm just like, yep. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay. Because I already got it out. Right. In the car. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was just because I was married to somebody I shouldn't have been married to. Mm-hmm. It, but it was so much more than that. Like, and being married to the wrong person, the wrong person for me, just exacerbated right. all the other things I had going on. Right. 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 You know, right. and it's just, I don't know, it's just one of those things where I tell people, if you, if you have that kind of... Um, that kind of conflict going on in your head, nobody will understand when you take five minutes to yourself. Because right. that's an extreme to people. I tell people all the time, I walk away in a minute. I walk away, collect myself, I'll be back. People automatically think that means you're emotional and you can't handle yourself. Right. It, in most cases, it means the total opposite. It means I'm, I'm violent and what I want to do is punch you in your face. And so I so, need to walk away before... So I'm walk away. Yeah, because I'm about to get the fuck locked up because I'm about to yeah. fucking beat the brakes off your ass. Yeah, I'm it. And for but me, the understanding, the understanding people have of those type of things automatically makes you weak. Yeah. And that's not the case. Yeah. All the time. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying there isn't someone cowering in the corner cuz they're scared and got things going on. I mean, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this. It was it was moments when I walked away from certain things and I would literally get in my car and cry because yeah. I couldn't do or, or I didn't do what I really wanted to do because hey, I'm, okay, I'm, so I'm, I'm trying to be a better person. I'm trying hey, to, you know what I mean? But I'm just in the car pissed. Like, why didn't you crank this? Why didn't why you fuck didn't this you nigga cry? up, Joe? Like, but it's like, 
You, that, trying to be an adult. Yeah, that ain't that ain't you that you want to be no more. But this motherfucker called you this, and he. Bu- I'm like Joe. So I used to have these battles with myself, and I used to, I used to be like Joe. This this can't be, this can't be real. And so tied into that that sitting in the car before you go in the house moment. I mean, it's it's funny you say that because we've all we've all had that. But that judgment that I would get from her, and I don't think it was, I don't think it was. Um, I don't think it was in a bad way because it's almost like when you're when you're with somebody, you're still learning that person. You're still, you know, developing, you know what I mean, who they are. And I think it was just, you know, she had an idea, you know, of kind of where I came from. But I was giving her insight now. I was giving her like technical times, places, things, names, what happened. And she was just like, what? Because I remember one time. I remember one time I had an incident um, and we was watching TV and a guy was shooting at another guy, but he was in a neighborhood and it was kids outside. And she was like, look at him. I don't know why he would shoot at these people like this with all these kids outside. And it just, I don't know why, but I just blurted it out. I was just like, he ain't thinking about them kids. She was like, what you mean? I said, he ain't thinking about them motherfucking kids right now. He thinking about that nigga that he need to get up out of there. I said, now, I'm pretty sure that he don't want to shoot no kids or he don't want to do nothing to no kids, but he ain't thinking about them damn kids. And I mean, I remember like the next day, it, it was like this sharp questioning. So do you really think like that? Do you really? I mean, it was all these sharp questions. I was just like, wow. And it got to the point where, you know, I felt like, literally, I felt like I could not tell her stuff no more because it would nope. get it would get thrown in my face. I, I completely I, I identify and completely overstand. But it hurt. But it hurt me though because I'm like, this is the person that I thought I could open up to. I mean, I, I mean, I was opening up, but it just felt like it wasn't the right thing to do. But again, that goes back to to what I said earlier. Um, what you what you are sharing, if you haven't shared it with a professional. That can teach you how to word things right. and how to because sometimes harsh reality can't be everybody's reality. Yeah, you know sometimes it's blurting out to somebody that you know you've been you've been you've killed somebody, you shot somebody, you've robbed somebody, you've been raped. Some people can't handle you saying I've been raped, so sometimes you guys say I've been in a sexual, you know, I've been assaulted, right? In nature, because people don't that harsh reality is you know everybody think they can handle a real body seeing a body. Till you see a body. You know what I'm saying? That's facts. And uh, the people that make it through things like that, I'm not saying we're stronger. I'm not saying we're weaker. But it's different. It just builds you differently. So when you're talking to what I call a civilian, whether it be military situation or not, when you're talking to a civilian, someone who doesn't have any of that type of background or interaction, someone who's lived a pretty even-killed life, it's a harsh reality to think that someone that close to you has been through that yeah. or has done that. Done that, Because yeah. my, my third incident was um, someone I called my, my brother in the military. When we got back to my rack, he killed himself. Oh, wow. And we both we both had PTSD. So we used to literally talk every day. Okay. Like we'd sit on the balcony, we talk. And instead of, because back then, when we came back from Iraq in 2006, they didn't have things set into place. And I know because I work at the Soldier Readiness Center 
where we did what's called MOVE and DMOVE, which means you receive and send out soldiers to and from deployment. Okay. And so um, if you said you had a problem, so site background, if you said if you went to that line, anybody that's on this that can hear this, this military will tell you. If you go to this line when you get back from deployment and you tell them you feel in some kind of way, you're talking about they're going to quarantine you somewhere. you got to see some mental health. And you may not see your family for another two weeks. Wow. So what happens is when people come back from places like Iraq, Bosnia, and Kosovo, they say, do you feel like you want to hurt yourself? No. Mm-hmm. you feel like you want to hurt somebody else? No. Are you having you know, thoughts of suicide or anything like that? You all have to say no, not because you're not feeling it, but because you want to see your wife, you want right. to see your kids, you want, right. to, you want to go home. Right. And you, everybody knows if you say something, they're going to hold you. Mm-hmm. So we didn't talk to people. We talked to each other. So because we had both been deployed, we talked all the time. I would, with his wife, me and his wife were real good friends. She would call me and be like, hey, you need to come over here. He tripping. And I would come over and bring some beers. Of course, because alcohol is the answer, right? Right. So I'd bring some beers and we talk. We'd go through two cases of beers talking. Mm. And we wouldn't be talking about what he's feeling. We just talk about why he don't need to feel that way. Right. Which is wrong. Right. I, he, we, neither of us ever got out what we were feeling. We just talked about not feeling that way. Right. But we can't be like this. You're family. It's going to be okay. Of course, we're trying to encourage each other, but the, what you needed to do was get it out. Right. Right? But because I'm hurt and I'm not healed and you're hurt and you're not healed, neither of us can handle hearing the real story. And so he had a, it was really bad for him because well, a month before we came back, his brother died all of a sudden. And a month at three weeks after we got back, his brother was killed. His younger brother was murdered. So he was the young, the middle child and he was the last one left. Um, so within six months, both his brothers were dead and they're from New York and his, he needed to go home to be with his mom. So he went home to be with his mom and the wife just kept nagging, nagging, nagging. He needs to come back. He needs to come back. So the commander had to make him come back. So he came back and I'm like, he's not right. You should have left with his mom for a little bit longer because I feel like something's wrong. Well, went through a whole day, a Sunday. And usually we, we hit on each other, we hit on each other and fight, like we play fight. We never said hello or goodbye. We never hugged or kissed. We just play fight. This one particular day, he's talking to me and he hugs me. And I'm like, wow, what's that for? And he was like, Nancy, I can't hug you. And I was like, Ugh. I feel like you're saying goodbye to me or something. Right, do you all? He was all. like, no. He was like, no. It just it threw my whole day off. And mm. I was going to, we were headed to church. Because that's what I did. I went to church because everybody tells me that's what you do. You go to church because God can save you. Again, I tell people I believe in God. I also believe in the meditations of Buddha. But I also know it says faith without works is dead. Yeah. And if God put things in your path to help you, you need to get help. Yeah. And it ain't always church. Because yeah. you're dealing with a bunch of churches <clears throat> full of a bunch of people that get healed. So how are they helping you? Mm. So... I kept going because that's what they told me I was supposed to do. And I never felt any better. You know, sorry. I would leave to go drink. <laughs> this can't be how this is supposed I, to go. I was I, a ministry leader in my church. I was a ministry leader in my church. I'm helping other people with my with all the soundness I had going on. And going to get it in. my heart and in my mind. Yeah. And then going out, then going home and getting drunk. Yeah. Well, drinking because it wasn't no drunk. You know what I mean? So yeah. we left and came back from church. And we I found him in his bedroom. He had shot himself. Wow. But he was what's called quick reaction force, QRF in the military. So that means in Iraq, all he did was kick open doors, kill people, 
arrest people. That's mm-hmm. what he did. Mm-hmm. So when he got home, what he felt like, he was being a burden on his wife. So what do you do when you have a problem? You get rid of it. So he literally had lined the whole room with plastic. And this is how in his right thoughts he was. He didn't, his wife, the whole bedroom like white. He covered everything with plastic so he wouldn't mess up her bedroom. He left a note with a Bible because she kept telling him he didn't know Jesus. So he had a Bible open with a picture of his family, picture of his brothers, picture of his mom, and a letter to her. Wow. Explaining that he knew God. He just felt like now that he's gone, she could live a better life. Wow. I found him. She came in after me. I was, the commanders told me when they came in, I was holding his hand, sitting on the floor talking to him. That's how out of it I was. Wow. And literally 10 minutes later, I had snapped out of it. It was in my military mode, calling people, calling the other the commander, calling the post coroner, calling it. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Because that's what we're taught in the military. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can't be emotional. You just, and people be like, I don't know. What you, look, I was, I was in the army. The army teach you, you hit it and keep moving. Oh, you stubbed your toe, cuss it, and keep walking. Right. You got your leg about to give out, you better wrap that motherfucker up and keep walking. Right. And I'm still like that to this day. I've had to learn how to be emotional. You feel me? So, I never dealt with that situation for mm. years. But I couldn't shoot a weapon. It's almost, it took, I went to a friend of mine who has a, he's a instructor, and he got me shooting again just a couple years ago. Okay. I couldn't pick up a gun. I couldn't hear the sound of it. Not because it's, it made me nauseous because the minute I would hear it or smell it, I could see him. Right. <clears throat> Didn't know that was PTSD. I just thought I was mourning. Right. They were like, the military was like, no, that is absolutely PTSD. What are you talking about? Right. You didn't see anybody after that? Nobody came to me. It didn't send me to nowhere. I just had to deal with it on my own. Wow. And for six months after it happened, I was taking care of people. She was living in my house. We were trying to help her get the funeral together. So I just went back like life was normal. And again, for about five or 10 years, it buried it all. Right. Military people, black people, same thing. We are good at just not dealing with shit. Yeah. And carrying on like things are normal till one day it comes to a head <clears throat> and you just go off on everything and everybody. And it's, and it's generational. I mean, because we, mm-hmm. we, we got them instances where we got that nasty uncle or that nasty grandfather who, has done stuff to people in the family, but yeah, he still can come over for Thanksgiving dinner or come over for mm-hmm. Christmas dinner and be around the same people that he's, you know, sexually assaulted, but don't nobody want to talk about it. Right. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's I mean, I, I'm, me personally, I just feel like, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I, I want to be better just in case something traumatic happens to one of my daughters or something traumatic happens to one of my nieces or nephews. You know what I mean? That way I can be somebody that can sit them down and give them some traumatic shit that's happened to me and kind of explain to them how I dealt with it. But now, luckily for them, they have an opportunity where we can take them to a doctor so they can see somebody or, you know, whatever the case may be. But that first step is like you were saying, just getting it out. And a lot of people just don't get it out. Like they just... They just don't get it out. And I remember one night, man, you know, sitting in my room. Um, I can't remember specifically um, what had got me to that point, Coco, but I was in my room and I just felt like I, I, well, I do remember that my, my, my oldest daughter's mother, she was pregnant with my oldest daughter. And I just didn't know how to deal with that 
and I didn't know how to deal with the fact that they wouldn't let me see her like that because, um, you know, once once she had the baby, um, once she had the baby, I was locked up. Um, I got out um, when I think she was Gary turned two, and I remember coming home got my stuff together I, I, I mean the, the first thing I wanted to do was go and buy her some stuff so I went I went to Old Navy I called my man Tony man I mean we rode around the mall I bought all this stuff and I took it to their house and I remember the brother um, coming to the door you know telling me how bad of a father I was and all this and all that the mother telling me how fucked up I was I couldn't come in their house I couldn't see my daughter and it was it just it had bothered me because I had already brought my mother there. My mother was like, that's your baby. She looks just like you, all this and all that. But it was just because of my lifestyle. You know, the not necessarily my daughter's mother, but her mother was putting the press on her. Like, why you want to take her around there to see him when they got, when they selling drugs or they smoking weed and this, you know what I mean? This, that, and the third. And I'm like, in hindsight, I get it in hindsight. But back then, I was like, I don't give a fuck about that because it's nothing I'm going to let happen to this little girl. Nothing. Like, it's nothing I'm going to let happen to either one of y'all. But I guess as a woman and not really knowing that lifestyle, you don't really know. Or you you just in defense mode. you like, I don't want to go around there. Right. I don't want to take my baby around that shit. So for a long and, time. And it's okay to feel like that. Yeah. I mean, now I understand that. But I think I had a lot of that going on in my head. I couldn't find a job. I mean, I was selling drugs and doing what I was doing, but it just felt like I could be doing more. And for some reason, I could not get over that. I couldn't get over the top of me doing more in my head. And one night, I remember I had this gun in my hand and I was in my room and it wasn't something that I thought about. It was just, I just grabbed the gun, I cocked it, and I remember sitting on my bed. And before I can get it up, even to lift it up to my head, somebody tapped on my door and it was like, come on, Kato, we bought the road. And I remember putting the gun down and just leaving. But I never went to nobody and be like, oh, I had a thought of maybe doing something to myself. I never I never talked to anybody about that. But in hindsight now, thinking about it, I was like, wow. Like, I really dealt with a lot at a young age and never got professional help. And still kind of, like, am, am, am very humble and thankful that I'm still here. Because I'm like, I dealt with a lot of shit that people that's even close to me wouldn't even understand because I wouldn't be able to know how to tell them. Like, it, it was times that I did shit and I would come home and sit down and I'd be, my whole body be shaking. I mean, I'm not scared. I'm not no bitch. But what I just did, oh my God, what the fuck was that? And so it's like, now I'm like, I want to be able to try to help people get that type of shit out. You know, because like COVID-19 has clearly shown people that people aren't as stable in their mind as people like to think because there's been some people that's committed suicide since this thing has started. Right. You know what I mean? And so I'm not going to say COVID-19 was the end-all be-all, but it was just something that, you know, took them over the top. Um, well, it you know. brought to light, it, it, brought, it brought to light a lot of coping mechanisms. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, while I drank and other people did other things, people... When you see people, I'm not seeing everybody before anybody gets offended. Not everybody, but for the majority. People that constantly have to be around other people, constantly have to find something to do and be in, 
are usually hiding from something else. Oh. Whether it be a bad marriage, whether it be kids at home that are getting on your nerves, whether it be whatever trauma you have on inside, people will find things to put in its place. Mm. Right now, there's no outlet. Redirect that energy. So, so yeah, it's 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 um. So if you haven't been taught a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. meaning you haven't seen a counselor, somebody professional that can teach you how to how to be with you, mm-hmm. being caught up in the house with kids, being caught up in the house with a spouse, being caught up in the house by yourself, forces you to look in a mirror that you've been hiding from right. for a very long time. That is facts. That is fucking facts. There are people that are finding out they don't like their spouse. Right. There are people finding out that your kids are as rotten as people say they are. Right. And then there are people on the flip side. Like I said, nobody ever talks about the positive. There are people now finding out, damn, I've been robbing not home all the time and my spouse is kind of cool. Yep. I haven't been home all the time and my kid is kind of awesome. Yep. Because you have spent so much time pouring energy into what you don't realize is a coping mechanism. Right. I, I know I have friends that are out all the time, and I know the underlying as well. You know, I know why they're out all the time. You know, they don't like to be in the house by themselves. Right. You know, I have friends that are, you know, friends and associates that are constantly in relationships. Not because they want to be in relationships, because they just don't want to be by themselves. Right. So until you get help with dealing with those things, why don't you like being by yourself? Why don't you like being in transition why don't you like being in your marriage until you get help with that it, it just it's ne- it never gets better it never goes away you just keep burying it for one day something so minute and trivial blows you the hell up man what i'm hip especially when you're the type <laughs> like i was to make everything right like, so you know we had an amazing marriage i'm crying to my mama every day i don't know what i could do better i'm loving him i do everything and my mom was like maybe he's just not yours right and i'm mad at her fuck you mean right he married me he proposed to me she's like that doesn't mean it was right it doesn't mean he was you know what you know right that's all she should say to me right and at the end of the day when i come back to admit it it's like you know what I wasn't supposed to marry him. He wasn't for me. Right. I knew he wasn't for me. Right. I know we weren't equally yoked as people want to say. I know we didn't have anything really in common. Mm. You know what I mean? It's, but I did it anyway because I, I, I'm a person of my word. So I said I was going to do it. So I did it. Right. I loved him. But I was I didn't love him the way he needed to be loved, apparently. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's important on, on both sides. I mean, both individuals got to be able to be, got to be able to do that for each other. But when you, but when you're both unhealed people, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm hip. You don't know what that looks like. I'm, I'm <laughs> trust me, I'm hip. I, I mean, because I remember when we first met. You know, you, you, uh, you. I don't think you said I was angry, but you was like, "It's something bothering you." I said, "Why do you say that?" She, yeah, I called you angry. Yeah, okay. Said, There's no reason for anyone to be as angry that, as you are. Hey, and 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 and, and it was <laughs> and it was like it was like once I start talking, you was like. Oh, oh, okay. And, and it, but, what was the, but what was the first thing I said to you after we started talking? What did I beg you to go do? To go get the counselor. I, I said, I don't care what, black, white, yeah. Asian, yeah. whatever. Just talk, go talk to, to somebody. Because yeah. at that time, everybody knew, well, 
I mean, everybody has known for years that I've always carried a gun, whether it was legal or illegal. So everybody knew that. And, you know, people who know me know me know that, you know, I don't do a whole bunch of talking. I mean, I'll talk to individuals that I'm cool with that I get that 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 good energy with. But people that I don't know that I'm not really cool with that, you know, like you say, being around fake people, I got to get up and roll because I already know me. And I know if I say something and this person say something differently, it's going to it's going to be a bad situation. It's going to be it's going to be a. A fucked up situation. So I'm I'm glad that I've grown out of that. Uh, and you know, I, it's it's like like a friend of mine was saying that you know this COVID nineteen thing. You know, you got people who are dealing with so many things, and now they can't leave their house. And so now a lot of that stuff that they're dealing with is right at home, and now they can't even leave. So they don't have an outlet. Like if they are dealing with domestic violence, now it's it's more it's more because they home all the time with the other person. You know what I mean? Okay. So it's just like. You know that that's supposed to be your your um your your place of peace, but now it's become your place of trauma because you just in it all the time. And so I just you know I want people to kind of get an understanding that you know it's not just you, it's not just me, it's not just the people that I've interviewed thus far. It's it's kind of happening to all of us. You know what I mean? But we got to be willing to um you know. I want to say not not necessarily say pay attention, but kind of you know understand when you say look in the mirror, I mean, and that was the best thing I did for myself was just look in the mirror and just like wow, did you did really? And it's like a lot of it was more so you know just trying to navigate you know this new terrain you know because you know growing up in Southeast was one thing, and then. You know, going to junior high school, high school, elementary school, you got all these different terrains you're trying to go through. And then it's like, now I'm an adult. I'm in high school. I've been locked up a few times. I got somewhat of a name. I sell drugs. I'm in the street. You know, this joker might not like me. What You know, you got all these things to, to, to think about. But when you get home, it's like, how do you deal with all of the shit that you've, you know, gone through during the day? So now we got all this stuff that we don't pack. You know, like you say, you done pushed it down for so many years. Now we trying to open this shit up. And that's it's going to take time. People not going to heal overnight. You know what I mean? People need to understand that this thing is not going to, you know, happen overnight. But it's something that needs to be talked about all the time. But I will ask on a positive note, like if somebody, you know, you knew, whether it was me, whether it was a friend, um, you know, what type of positive, you know, advice would you give them? If you notice something about them, uh, we'll see. Um, having been a peer counselor, I'm, I'm a little bit different. So, if it's someone I'm um, close to and I know, um, I, I first let you get it out. Like mm -hmm. I am, you know, I'm relentless for get the story out. Yes. Don't tell me you're okay. Don't tell me I won't understand. Right now, it's not about me understanding. I just want you to talk. I'm not going to interrupt you. I'm not going to ask any questions. Just what's, what's on, tell me what's on your mind, exactly what you're thinking of right now. And sometimes they just need to get it out. Right. And once they get it out, you know, make, first of all, I make sure I'm available. Like when you ask someone to confide in you on that level, don't be half-assed about it. Right. You know, be available. Right. And be open-minded. And leave, at that moment, leave your experience out of it. Right. Because the worst thing you could ever do to someone is make them, we could walk the exact same steps and still get something different out of the journey. Correct. Correct. So 
just because you've been raped too, just because you killed somebody too, doesn't mean we did it the same way and we internalized it the same way. Right. And unfortunately, the misconception is um, having similar journeys makes us the same. So I just try to reassure, you know, reassure them that what they're talking about, first of all, is between me and them. Because the worst thing in the world is to think someone's going to expose all your business. Right. And then just continuously telling somebody that they're worth it. Those words mean so much. And contrary to popular belief, people don't hear it enough. That's true. You could be married. You could be married for thirty years. You can have both your parents, your grandparents, and your aunts and uncles, and nobody ever reiterates that you're worth fighting for. You right. know, if you have these shows that come on, these you know, black girl rocks and all this stuff with celebrities and people that are not readily in your life all the time. But how often have you heard it? That's why I tell my friends. You know, you have daughters and sons. Not don't just kiss them and hug on them. Like talk to them. Right. Right. Allow them the space. The one thing I said about my father is growing up, he allowed me the space to speak my mind. Now, I couldn't curse and all that stuff, but if I had a legit question or feeling about something, or even if it was something that he had told me I could or couldn't do, if I could come to him with, like, my head on right and talk to him, he would let me get it out. Now, it might not change shit, and I might even end up in trouble, but he would let me get it out. Yeah. So I never was scared to talk to, to him. To talk to him, it's right. The same thing as an adult. Right. And a lot of adults grew up in situations where they couldn't talk, right. so now they don't talk at all. Right, right. You right. carry those things. Right. So I try to just let you get I'm just a friend. I'm right. a sounding board, and I'll let you get it out. And after you get it out, you are not defined by some shit you've been through. Right. You're not, unless you're still doing it. Now, if you're still out there, you know, shooting and selling drugs, then we need to talk and get you some other kind of help. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. but you, the first thing is to let people know they are not their past. You aren't. It's a part of who you are, but it's a much bigger picture. <clears throat> and if you break it down, you're, it's such a, a minute part of who you're becoming. Right. You're constantly a work in progress, as they say. You mm-hmm. know, so I just try to make sure that they feel comfortable and that you don't judge. You know, when people, you gotta watch your facial expressions and things of that nature when people are talking to you about things, you know, and you even if you're disgusted with something, keep keep that to yourself for right now. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Just let them get it out. Yeah. You know, they're trusting you, especially when I, I tell um, my female friends, when I, especially dealing with black men, if a black man decides to tell you something that's going on with him or something that's on his heart or on his mind, Please take it seriously and take seriously the position he's put you in because y'all just don't open up to anybody. Right. right. And the last thing he wants to do is hear it come out of his friends or one of your friends' mouths. That is correct. Like it's so important. And I'm not saying it's not the same thing with, with black women, but we tend to be more open to discussion than y'all are. Correct. So it's just just letting someone know they're worth the time and then knowing when to stop. Like, you know, when it gets to a point where, you know what, we're going to find you somebody to talk to because I'm, I'm not qualified to, I'm not the to one. help you with this part. Right. And I, I would hate to be the reason why you go on a, down, a downward spiral. Right. You know, so you have to know when to say it's when. That makes, I mean, that, that, that all makes perfect sense. I mean, it literally does. But I mean, again, you know, like, you know, people, um, People got to, you know, somebody told me that people 
can get the help that they that they deserve when they finally, you know, deal with the fact that they really dealing with something. That's the only time that you can really get somebody to get the type of help that they need. And I think, you know, from this platform or just kind of talking to people in general, that's the type of help that I want to try to give, you know, people in general, whether it be a young man, whether it be a young woman, whether it be a mother of a young man, you know, father of a young daughter. I mean, I'm I'm at the point where I'm willing to try to help people as much as I can. I mean, we, we came up with an idea to start a nonprofit, me and two of my partners, and it's actually coming to fruition. When we file paperwork, you know, we trying to get everything, you know, in order. And I think it'll it's going to impact people. I mean, because I remember when I was young, I had to take these little classes. And, you know, when I was on probation, when I was a juvenile, and I didn't want to be at these classes, but some type of way, many years later, they've impacted me because I go back and I think about some of the stuff that I heard when I was in those classes. Or I think about some of the teachings that some of the other people that was in the classes talking about. And it's always like somebody's, somebody's situation is always more difficult than yours. I mean, you got some shit going on, but it's somebody's shit way worse than yours, always. And so I think that's the thing that people need to understand is not the fact that, you know, you going through something, but always remember that, yeah, you might be, you might have some shit going on, but it's somebody always, you know, a little off, you know, off the rails than you are. And so you always got to have that benefit of the doubt for people and allow them to, you know, get the type of help that they need, encourage them and talk to them or whatever. So, I mean, I, I thank you for, um, for, for giving me some time. I mean, I know you, you know, don't, don't, I, I mean, we talk often, but I mean, we don't get, I guess, into particular conversations, so to speak. But I think that this one was important and I, I appreciate you, you know, just sharing, you know, some of your, your life's journeys, um, with, with myself and some of our listeners and hopefully, you know, it'll, it'll help them in the end. So, um, I mean, I thank you again for letting me, you know, spending some time with me and talking to me. I hope, um, you enjoy the rest of your day. Cause I'm not sure what, what the rest of your day looks like, but, um, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm happy that we had an opportunity to do this. And I hope that, you know, once this COVID-19 thing is over with, or it kind of, you know, kind of gets a little bit looser that we can kind of hang out, like you said, get us a couple sticks and just kind of, you know, get back get back to what we were doing at first. Of course. I thank you for even thinking of me for this subject. It's important. For sure. You know, it's definitely important to me. For sure. For sure. Well, like I would tell anybody out there, man, you know, there's a lot going on. We know COVID-19 is going on. We know... You know, this young man who just got killed in Georgia, you know, they just found some new, you know, video evidence that he was in this house that was under construction. And they trying to use that as a, a way to justify what this old white man did. But I still think it's bullshit. But again, like I tell y'all, man, so much stuff going on. We got to try to be as positive as, as we can and try to, you know, move and step in the right direction. So I hope everybody's safe. Hope everybody good. And like I always tell you, man, don't hold it in. Let it out. And definitely be better than you were yesterday. Peace. It's necessary to know that everybody won't see it. That everybody won't join you. That everybody won't have the vision. It's necessary to know that. That a lot of people like to complain, but they don't want to do anything about their situation. That you are an uncommon breed. You know, you have to know within yourself that I can do this, even if no one else sees it for me, I must see it for myself. That's necessary.
Cause all a nigga tryna do is hustle, hustle Stack my paper more, I can't lose Ain't no other options for me, fuck a pick and choose Fuck another day, so I pick up and light my move Cause all a nigga tryna do is hustle, hustle Stack my paper more, I can't lose Ain't no other options for me, fuck a pick and choose Fuck another day, so I pick up and light my move Said I'm just tryna hustle just wanna feed my family, I ain't looking for no trouble Been stopping for a new way, you can't hear my stomach rumble Man enough to say I fucked up before, then right I fumble huh? But that won't stop me, uh, beat the odds Rocky on the money, make a campaign Hit my speed, then that's my thing Wake up with a purpose, gonna get it, that's for certain Put my life in my music, reality, my influence Listen, I prove it, black and gifted I'm some all-time mellow breeze now Love my brother, cause he never crossed me ten toes down Forever abandon that, oh I can never huh. Once once with spurs as a feather, now we ain't flocking together Take flight like my move, mellow breeze, I'm in your two the way all nigga tryna do is hustle, hustle Stack my paper more, I can't lose Ain't no other options for me, fuck a pick and choose Fuck another day, so I pick up and like my Baby, I'm right on attack mode Nigga want flex I'm sorry, but nigga, this isn't no flex zone King of my throne, honey, I'm home Look at my stack, boy, you grown up Look like you won't even fold up But under the pressure, we hold up Let me get back, operator You a rookie, I'll rank you for that paper I'm speed racer like I'm skunk Let me get back to the matter at hand I'm coming out winning no matter the hand I'm hustling hard just to get to the bands Cause I know I got it Ain't no doubt about it It's been some cloudy days, but I always get up in my memories, you stop meaning shit to me since hustling been on me mentally. I started thinking differently, so vividly. My actions start to change with new activities. If you ain't talking dollars, man, I'm sorry, don't got my remedy. I'm all about the green if you talking positivity. Cause all a nigga trying to do is hustle, hustle. Stack my paper more, I can't lose. Ain't no other options for me, fuck a pick and choose. Fuck another day, so I pick up.